Last week we talked about, we're in Acts 1, um, last week we talked about how we got from there to here, that is the first century to today, and this week we're going from here to there, that is the future where God is taking us, what's the future look like uh, for us as a congregation, as a church, and what's it got to do with you, that's sort of what we, where, where we are today. God has always has a, had a vision for the world. One of the reasons Christ hasn't come back yet is because God's vision for the world is not yet the reality he wants it to be. The Bible tells us that from the creation of the world, before he even created the world, he had a plan for redemption. He had a plan to bring people back to himself after people would blow it in their relationship with him. We're part of that. Jesus' closest friends, when we come to Acts 1, have been with him for some three and a half years. They've watched him. They've seen him with people. They've witnessed his miracles. They've listened to his teaching. They've seen him suffer. They've seen him alive after he rose from the dead. And yet they're still confused. These are again are the first words of Luke's record of the early church's history. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Underline 1-8. Underline, that's a key verse. That's the outline of the book of Acts right there. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and it's the outline for our life together as well. Some today believe that it was a much easier thing to think, believe in a resurrection if you lived in the first century. Nothing could be further from the truth. For those in the Greco-Roman world, to believe that a physical bodily resurrection happened was just as implausible, inconceivable, and ridiculous as it is to many in our culture today. That's another study by itself. We can't get into that, but it is true. Yet Christianity took hold, and it turned Europe upside down. How? Well, first of all, God gave a message. And the message, of course, was resurrection. This, that, that you can be raised from the dead. And that was a symbol that you can be raised from the death that sin brings and the damage it brings, the scarring it brings. And you can be resurrected to a new life. So Jesus gave 11 different distinct appearances, convincing appearances, so the people would, knew, 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 would know that he was truly alive. I, I personally believe he probably appeared more than that, but we have 11 times that recorded for us. And that no new information was basically given in all that. He just appeared behind closed doors. And he was cooking fish on the beach one day. I doubt he went fishing to get them because he's Lord of the fish. He could just made them appear ready to eat. That's who he is. God also gave a command. And you know it well. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record these words of Jesus well. Matthew records this of Jesus. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark records Jesus' words, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke writes, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Not you ought to be witnesses or might be witnesses. He says you will be witnesses. Each of us, when we leave here, if we say we're disciples of Jesus, are providing some kind of witness on behalf of Jesus. Someone well said that a church that does not go to lost persons and share the gospel with them is like a restaurant that has food prepared but refuses to serve hungry customers. We get the bread of life when we get together all the time, and we feast together all the time. But there are hungry people that are around us all the time, and if we're not helping them get to the bread of life, we are not being obedient to the Lord's command. And so he says, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, that word witness from the Greek language can also be translated and is translated martyr in some places. Places The word martyr, the word witness, is the same Greek word. It's a context that determines how it's used in Scripture. So a mar- when you think of martyr, it's somebody, of course, who, who dies for a cause. And so when we are called to Jesus Christ, we are called by him, We are called to die to self, die to our past, die to our own dreams and causes, and live for him. We are living testimonies and witnesses. Two things about martyrs. First of all, as a martyr, we surrender our lives for a greater cause. We surrender our lives for a greater cause. We're willing to live for a cause greater than ourselves. We're willing to surrender control of our lives. We're willing to lay down our own comfort to help others get to Jesus. A martyr shares his love for Jesus to those who don't know him, and we do that increasingly in an unselfish way. Second of all, our job is not to convert anybody, but to communicate. We're to communicate. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert. You probably read statistics before recently that now one in four Americans... Do not choose any religious affiliation. One in four. Now that increases to one in three for those who are born since 1980. One third of those born since 1980 claim no religious affiliation. You know in people that you know. You know, I believe in Jesus. You know, I try to be a good person. I just don't believe in organized religion. I heard it this week from somebody. I don't believe in I hear it all the time. That's kind of a common idea. And yet we know that as the church, as the body of Christ on earth, this is God's plan. Not that we're better than anybody else. We are not better than anybody else we meet. We are all sinners. We're just saved by grace. That's the distinctiveness in us. And because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we are not like we used to be. We are always, and we're continually being changed by him with him. So God gave a strategy. I'll just call it a high strategy at first. This high strategy is really Acts 1.8. 
He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts, as I said earlier. And it's also about our influence. Now, I'll get back to Jerusalem in a minute. But, then, but Plainfield Christian Church has a Judea. Our Judea is the extended places beyond our personal lives in our ministry area, like Sheltering Wings, Hope Health Care, um, that we partner with, Active Grace, uh, uh, there's others, uh, Life Centers. So those would be our Judea in our realm of influence and make a difference. Our Samaria would be our United States, places that we partner with, organizations we partner with to make a difference in the states. Some of you went to White Sands in Arizona, that reservation, to partner with Lifeline there to make a difference by your influence there. Uh, that's part of our Samaria. Um, also, uh, uh, IDES is an organization we support that helps not only uh, globally, but in our states, like when there's hurricane a damage will partner through eyes with churches in the area of damage to do serve those people in the name of Christ to make a difference for him. Um, there are others. Orchard Group, we partner with. They plant churches along the eastern seaboard. So that would be part of our Samaria. And then we have the ends of the earth, like the group going to the, the Balkans with the chestnuts, those of you who will go there, uh, Ghana and Monterey, Mexico and uh, Eastern Europe. I mean, lots of places in the world where we are. That's, that's globally. This year, I'm excited because we're partnering with some Ethiopian believers who are going to go to one of the most dangerous places in the world for Christianity, and that's Somalia. But our church is going to be investing in effort to get into Somalia to help people get to Jesus. So all these things. But now, here's the personal strategy. Our Jerusalem. That's the first place that Luke mentions in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's where we live. It's where we go. When Jesus says, of course, go into all the world, go to all kinds of people groups. That's what that means. Go to all ethnicities. That's what go into all the world is translated. It's all kinds of people groups. Go. And that word go is a participle. As you're going, make disciples. In other words, as you're living your life, pray that the Holy Spirit will prompt you to see people as you're going that you can begin building a relationship with for the name of Jesus. Now, I believe that we generally know why we exist as a church, to help people get to Jesus. But personally, we don't take it seriously enough, I think for a number of reasons, fear or um, we are not maybe sure that people are all that lost because there's such nice people that are around us. Uh, any number of reasons. I think the two big reasons are first of all, we're distracted because we just have so much in our lives, don't we? We have full lives. Our calendars are packed. And we're so distracted by doing life, we just fail to remember what we're being about. The second reason why we fail at this is I think we're just so comfortable. We like us. The longer we're with the Lord, we like being together. We're more comfortable being together. We have the same worldview. We have the same love for the Lord. We love to worship together. We like to serve together. 
And it's, it's a little more difficult to get out of how we're comfortable to get with people who are really far different how they raise their families or their worldview or what they think about certain things that we value. It's just difficult. And because of that, you know, we want to stay separate. Maybe we're worried about uh, being polluted by wrong values or something. But whatever, we have to push through and submit to the Lordship of Christ. Now, so what does this mean about PCC strategy? We're called to be witnesses to make disciples. But God gives freedom as to how that is fleshed out from place to place. It changes from culture to culture in the world. It's different based on what community you live in, even in the States, God gives us freedom. But the one avenue, I believe, that is more universal for reaching lost people than any other is one that I want us to begin practicing well, if you're not practicing, and that is hospitality. Hospitality. There's a book that I read a number of months ago that simply says, Hospitality, the simplest way to change the world. People value being welcomed into our lives and our homes. So I want you to begin remembering these words, impacting homes by opening hours. Impacting homes by opening hours. It's rememberable, it's repeatable, it's translatable, and it's very simple. Take a look at Brian's life. This is Brian. Brian has a nice life, but something is missing. There's a hole that Brian can't quite seem to fill. Not that he hasn't tried. But no matter what he tries, Brian never quite feels full. There has to be something more that he's missing. As long as Brian keeps busy, he can try to ignore it. But if it's ever quiet, he feels it, empty, unsure, even alone. This is Brian's house. Brian likes his neighborhood and really likes the family that lives across the street. This is Brian's neighbor. They're different, not weird, just different, good different. They're easy to talk to. They like the same football team. If Brian goes on vacation, the neighbors volunteer to watch his dog and sometimes even mow the grass. They like to grill out in the backyard and eat together. They've even invited Brian's family over for Thanksgiving. Their kids aren't perfect, but they're respectful and kind. Their family is hopeful and, and they never seem to complain. They're generous and rarely in a hurry. Brian knows his neighbors go to church. Church has never been Brian's thing. Brian believes in God, he just doesn't see the need for church. He's seen plenty of church people live just like anybody else. But one night, Brian's wife is rushed into emergency surgery after giving birth to their third child. And for the first time in a long time, Brian is scared. He doesn't know what to do. He feels empty and alone. So much so that he can no longer ignore the hole. A few hours later, Brian's neighbor walks into the waiting room with a cup of coffee. They talk for a while. He puts together a group of people from the neighborhood to make meals for Brian's family. He offers to keep Brian's kids so Brian can stay with his wife. He prays with Brian. Brian opens up to his neighbor about the emptiness he's been feeling. And he's surprised when his neighbor says that he used to feel the same thing. 
Brian asks him, what changed? What made the difference? Brian is open to the idea of Jesus, but still not crazy about going to church. But Brian decides to see what it's all about. And to his surprise, Brian feels the same kind of warmth at church that he felt in his neighbor's home. He feels Jesus there. After a few weeks, Brian and his family go back to church. The people there remember Brian's name. Brian feels like he belongs. Eventually, Brian begins serving on Sunday mornings. They join their neighbor's home group. They learn how to read the Bible on their own, and they start praying regularly. And every week, they learn more about who Jesus is and their need for him. Brian decides it's time to follow Jesus, and his neighbor is the one who gets to baptize him. As Jesus fills Brian's heart and the church becomes his home, Brian feels less and less empty. Then, a really cool thing happens. A new family moves in across the street. How will you impact your neighbor's home? I think there's a reason why hospitality is so effective, and that's because hospitality is rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in the character of God. This is the kind of God that he is. So in Leviticus 19, we have this written in the law. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God is saying, look, you Israelites, I got you out of Egypt. I mean, I got you out of bondage, out of slavery. I treated you so well. Now, I want you to treat people in the same way, strangers in your land. And for us, there's nothing stranger. There's no, nobody stranger than us to them, those who do not share our worldview and our same, the same relationship with Jesus. They're like, they're spiritual foreigners to us. But as God has treated us while we were still sinners, far away from him, here's Jesus in the comfort of heaven. He left heaven to come here to live among us. Although we were rebels against his father to make it possible for us to be welcomed home to our father in heaven. That's the impetus behind all of this. Over and over he said, the New Testament commands it. In Romans 12, practice hospitality. And Hebrews 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so maybe the best way to practice this is just with one another, you know, in the, in the context of the body of Christ. Who is it you ought to have over? Somebody been thinking about. You know, what, what do you do about this? Maybe you, if, you, if, if some of you maybe don't go out to eat on Sunday and actually go home, you know, maybe you have a little extra for somebody else that you just invite, you know, that, that you see in church, you're prepared to have them in. Just that one look. And, and you, you, you start somewhere. Now, over in the hub today, there's a book table over there with 10 different books about extending hospitality in the name of Christ. 
So I trust today or in the days ahead, you will stop by there, uh, pick one up, take it home and read it, leave a donation if you can. If not, that's okay too. There's also a book list there of those same 10 books. You can order them for your Kindle. You read them on your, invest something in this. Start, start allowing the Holy Spirit of God to shape our minds and our hearts around this endeavor to impact our community. Last week, I felt in our worship that you would love to be part of a movement that really makes a difference in the world. I believe by joining together in this, we can make a difference in our area. Not only this, but another piece of our strategy, we're calling every person to be a part of a home group. We want to practice, we want to learn the joy of being in each other's homes. Why? Because this is how the early church did it. You're going to see it in Acts. It was, it was a beautiful picture of how they worked together. They worshiped in the temple area, the temple courts. They didn't have a church building. All they knew is that Jesus had saved them and rescued them and changed their lives. And so they loved worshiping together. And then they met house to house. And it was very organic. It was very natural. But with the message of the resurrection, with a hope to live for, and with a, with a message and people to love all around them, Europe was dramatically changed, and the world to this day is a different world because of what happened in that first and second century together. So I hope that healthy relationships we will be formed as we de de devote our, our homes to one another, and then we'll further reach beyond one another to people near us or people we meet as we're going and welcome them into our homes and these gatherings together. Some of you do it already. You already practice. I dissed Tom earlier because he didn't have his Bible with him. He did confess it as a sin today, by the way, so that's a good thing. Uh, but but Tom, uh, Tom and Morgan are so good at this, at just uh, uh, being hospitable to their neighbors and, and caring for people so well. They're already living it. Others we've talked to are already living as well. Let's join them. Also, we are moving toward a university model. I want you to understand this. The university model is, is 36 hours that we want you to devote yourself to in four areas. Uh, theology, kingdom living, spiritual formation, and biblical, uh, biblical studies. Those four areas. 36 hours that will be available, offered either here in the building off Sunday morning sometime with a facilitator, or you can go online privately and take the 36 hours, or maybe as a home group, or just calling some friends over, hey, let's do this together, and you do it and talk about it as you, as you watch the teaching, and then you, you apply it to life. This university model is going to do a number of things. First of all, it's going to encourage us in our own faith and our understanding of God and his word. It's also going to equip us to engage in spiritual conversations. How many people say, maybe you feel, say, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to have a spiritual conversation. Well, I hope by walking through this process that we'll apply it to spiritual conversations, why this information is important. Third, well, have in view always then the making of disciples. They won't be cul-de-sacs just feeling good about more information, but the expectation will be the more we are better grounded, the better we will be equipped for making disciples. And finally, what it's going to do, it's going to raise your level of confidence in your own faith. You're going to own your own faith. You're going to have confidence in your faith, and you're going to be able to practice it better. Then, let's, let's say, say you've opened your house and you've, been, you've been had some spiritual conversations, trust has been developed. Maybe it's been two or three years 
Now, so for some people, it's very quick. For others, it takes years. And they're finally willing uh, maybe give church a chance. When they walk in here, we want them to find the same warmth and welcome that they had when they came to your house or your apartment, your condo, your mobile home, whatever God has given you and supplied for you. That, that, that they can't believe when they, when they come on the parking lot from the time they drive on the parking lot, you could tell that this church is all about people, all about Jesus and all about people. We need to raise the bar on that, friends. We're not very good at hospitality, and we want to do better by involving more people in service on the, in the Sunday morning hours, especially in the hospitality ministry and our children and young people's ministry. We want to raise the bar. We need uh, two or 300 more volunteers uh, in those areas. And we want you, according to your giftedness, we, want to, we, we won't want to put you in just because you're a warm body. You know, we want you to be called and be gifted to it. We want you to be trained well to do it well. So that this becomes a place where we're all about seeing one another, seeing people. As we build these relationships, we want to do our best to speak their language. Now, the message from God's word will not be lightened at all, but the methodology uh, of, of worship will, will change. It changes when we go on mission trips. It changes when we go from, move from culture to culture. And so that's why we, we know the value of worshiping together. We're like two churches, and we want to try to be done with that, if at all possible. So we're going to maintain an 8 o'clock traditional worship, and then the 9.30 worship in the sanctuary will morph into a modern worship later this year. It, that's where we'll be worshiping over there. And then the 11 o'clock worship will be over there as well. And then we'll add a late afternoon worship, probably around 5 o'clock or so later in the day. We, we did a trial run a couple of weeks ago, and about over 200 of you came at 4.30 in the afternoon. That's a good start. I think there's, there's a place for, for more people to join us that time of day. We'll need lots of people to come at that hour so that frees up space in the morning hour. So we can sense a, a more united effort joining together, us opening our homes to one another and to people who need Christ, speaking the same language in worship, and engaging people in the life that we have in Jesus Christ. I so trust you see this vision and you'll want to join together with this. What's it look like? What's it it look like to dedicate your home? Start with prayer. You pray about this. This has to be Holy Spirit-driven and empowered. If we try to do this because we just want to be nice people, that we ought to do this and we do it all in the flesh, it will fall flat. This, ha- this has to involve our laying down our lives before the throne of God and saying, God, use me. Use my home. Use my family. Use what I have for the sake of the gospel. Second, create margin. Frankly, right now, I don't have margin to do this. Do you? I mean, my calendar is packed like yours is. And so I need to do a life audit of myself. What is I'm doing that may be very good, but it is not really contributing to what I'm supposed to be doing? And I think all of us need to do that. We have to create space to form relationships because relationships take time. Third, develop a rhythm. In other words, I'm challenging us all to make hospitality a routine of our lives. Start small. Maybe maybe this year, As you dedicate your home, you start with once a month, you're going to have somebody from uh, church over or from your life group into your house. 
And you may, may, maybe, maybe it's somebody you keep thinking about, but you never have, but you're going to do it. Um, figure that out. What does that look like? If you're in college somewhere, figure out what it looks like there. Maybe just meeting somebody at a coffee shop. You're going to buy them a cup of coffee. Maybe that's the best way for you to do that. Uh, uh, you can figure that out. God, because hospitality has to do more with our, our, who we are as persons than even where we live. Because when we open our houses, but we don't open our lives, well, that's not going to work either. It's opening our homes and opening our lives to one another. But be intentional. That's my point. Be intentional about this. Be patient because relationships take time. Don't force the issue. Don't make people your project. Just learn to love people as Jesus did. Learn to meet them where they are. Learn to enjoy people, hear their stories, love them as they are, and walk along with them in life. And finally, be bold. Be willing to take a risk for the name of the Lord and show hospitality in a way that God has shown hospitality to you. Should he have welcomed you in in your condition? Absolutely not. But he made a way for that to happen. So let's make a way for, uh, to happen to other people who are very different from us, but who need us as friends, as people that will love them to Jesus Christ. This vision has the, has the potential in it to change our church from the inside out. And as you devote your home, as you decide, as you go home, I want you to start by praying. And when you pray and you're ready to lay down your house, you let us know by going to mypcc.info and, and, and uh, go to where you're directed there to, to let, you, let us know. We're going to have a big map in the hub, and we're going to add a dot every time somebody lays down their house. And we're going to note on that map where people are doing that. And we're going to watch dots multiply. Houses that are laid down. You can do it by hard copy in the hub as well in the weeks to come. So I hope you will take this seriously. You will be serious about making disciples in this broken, fractured lost, lonely culture we're living in. We know that's what it's like. So let's take the commission of Jesus seriously. As we're going, let's learn to make disciples. There is no God like him. He is the only God there is. There is no other living God. He's the true and living God, and he is worthy of our worship and our obedience. And there is no greater task on earth than the one he's given us. So let's be found faithful. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this call in our lives. I pray we take it seriously. I pray we will love people as Jesus has loved us. I pray we will not rest until we know we are fully engaged with the call you've given us. And until we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, seek his prompting to do what we're called to do. And we anticipate what we, you will do in and through us as we make ourselves available. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's dancing.